0: Roger, Steven. Just give me a chance. Sorry, son.
1: General Patton has said the wars are fought with weapons, but they are won by men.
0: You just don't know when to give up, do you? I could do this all day. I welcome everyone. This is episode 74 of the Comics in Motion podcast. I am one of your hosts, Chris Phelps, and my co-host and very good friend is Mr. Dave Horrocks.
1: Hi, Chris, and hello to our listeners out there. Welcome to Comics in Motion. What we like to do here is we like to review movies and TV shows that are based on comic books. Myself, I'll be reviewing from the perspective of a long-time comic book reader. And I'll be reviewing from the TV and movie perspective. And what we also like to do is we also like to spoil the hell out of everything we review. So if you haven't watched our choice of the week, then we'd advise you to proceed with caution. And remember, with an average podcast comes no responsibility. And what we also love is when you can head over to your podcast catcher of choice and drop us a five-star review with any comments that you like. And this really helps us to grow the show and helps us to get out to other listeners. So, Chris, we haven't spoken for a, a little while. How did your charity run go? Very well. The, the, the fundraising went tremendous. You, you were going to say very well, weren't you? We? Yeah, I,
0: I'm totally lying. <laughs> the fundraising's gone tremendous. I think we've raised between me... I think I've got about three hundred pound. My sister and brother-in-law's the same. We're trying to get over about a thousand, which is great, which we raise for the Christie Charity Run Hospital, which does all the cancer treatment in Manchester. So that's fantastic. But on the negative side, Dave, oh my word, did I struggle that Captain America suit that I dons for this race, thinking, you know, it can't be any worse than the Batman suit. Oh yeah, well but basically that suit said hold my beer because uh it was one lined with now I'm a big guy, I'm like sixties zone, so, you, know, you know, I know of a train and everything. This suit made me look like Johnny Bravo. I look like I actually look like Shazam. Because I ended up with the wider shoulders, wider, massive chest, and what body got, massive legs, and it was all wool lined. And oh my word. After 2K, I set off like a gazelle. And I know I'm not very fast, Dave, but I set off really well. And, not very fast. Yeah, did I, did I struggle? <laughs> Did
1: I Your pace is deceptive. <laughs> you, you you're slower than you look, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you can say that you play football with me. But, so, yeah.
1: so for our American listeners, listeners, sixteen stone is about. It's just over two hundred and twenty pounds.
0: Yeah, it is. Yeah. So it's so it's. Uh, I'm not designed for running, really. I suppose, but of oh, Dave, I was a mess, an absolute mess after about. 5k. And this is God's only tree. I'm going to tell you this actually because the guy is actually okay. But we got to the halfway marker and I had loads of water. I was throwing water over me, Had The mask had come off at this point. I had the shield in my hand. I was pouring water down my front. I looked like I had an accident, Dave. You know, I'd literally, I was covered in water. It was so hot. And it wasn't even a sunny day. You can't, I can't even put it down to that. Like last year, the Batman suit, it was, it was like nearly 30 degrees. So it wasn't like that. But we get just past the five k market, and the police are there, like right. Everyone just got. It became like a bit of a dog leg on this corner. It was absolutely rammed, and you like nearly stop him to walking pace. And there's only a bloke on the floor, Dave, getting resuscitated with like oxygen on. And I was like, "Oh my word!" I mean, he was a big bloke, Dave. I mean, like as in, I don't know why he was doing the run. If I'm being completely honest, he looked. They, they basically were giving him sort of partial CPR and everything. But luckily, I can report he's okay. But Oh it was scary because I was feeling sorry for myself at that point, and I thought, right, you need to put your ideas up, Chris you know, because this poor guy had obviously done something positive like this, and just something must have done with dehydration and something i don 't know, but um, yeah, it was quite scary, but it 's funny, Dave, because the mental block of it now is i 'm disappointed in my performance. We did it in an hour. And literally, my sister and brother-in-law had older me pulling me over the line. <laughs> and they were like, "Let's all three of us hundred yards. We're gonna go for it now." And they kept saying it to me for the last hundred yards, and honestly, I had nothing left. I mean, an hour's an hour's reasonable for a ten k, but I can run it without the gear on. I've been running it, or I was running it, like just fifty minutes. You know, under fifty minutes, mm-hmm. just over. It just it just took the the sail out right, of the wind that we sailed. Honestly, I was struggling. I'd run when I was on holiday. I ate really well the meal wise. I was eating a lot of desserts now. I was swimming every day. I thought, oh, I'll be fine here. I'll, I'll crack this. And I was really bad. But thankfully, it's all in a good cause. But I've got to say, Dave, there's nothing like the last 200 yards where you think, I'm not, war- I'm not even moving here. It. it was like I was on a <laughs> <laughs> travelator. And like you say, with my electric pace, it was just terrible. <laughs>
1: So I know exactly what you mean and and so I went through a period uh, probably about five six years ago of, of running a few half marathons I initially set out to do marathons and then I realized when I was building up to that that even a half marathon is a long long way yeah and so I only made it to that far but every time I got to about 11 miles and that was it I just I just hit the wall and you hear people talking about the wall and you just think oh yeah it's like just grit your teeth and get through it it is not that at all it's when you're just utterly devoid of anything at all and you know I used to have people running past me you know at that 11 mile mark and going come on not long now and you're just like oh Go away! <laughs> just yeah, yeah. Leave me alone. I've yeah. got nothing. There's no grit in your teeth and getting through it. Uh, but I do remember at the last one, someone was giving out like sugary sweets, and I I just couldn't believe it. I had a few of these, and it was like Popeye eating his spinach. Yeah, it, I just couldn't believe how just taking in that sugar, it just instantly gave me that extra bit of energy, and I could actually get through and finish that last last bit of the race. But yeah, it's is horrible, isn't it? When when you've just got nothing left, and you you're not quite finished. But I think the worst one when I, I did one in Nottingham, and again it was probably less than a mile from the finish, and I, it was an absolutely baking day, and I just I just needed some liquid, anything at all. People were giving out these Lucasaid bottles. You know, the whole yeah. race was sponsored by Lucasaid. And what happened is, you know, people running past, drink a little bit and then throw it away. I was that desperate for a drink. I I just, I couldn't help it. I just had to go for one that was half drunk. (laughs) Picked it up off the floor. And I was just like, oh, it was the sweetest drink I'd ever had. Yeah,
0: yeah. No, no, you know what, Dave? And like I say, I only ran half, I see under half what you've run there. And, And genuinely, it's the mind over anything. I mean, You are right about the sweet stuff. Last year, there was no water. And I think I mentioned this on the podcast and we got to nearly at the halfway mark. And I don't know why they decided not to put any water anywhere. Like when they've done it the year before and there was water literally within the first couple of kilometers. It was a nightmare. So I went around the corner here, Old Trafford United's ground and they were giving out jelly babies. And I was like, "Oh, I'll have a handful of these." And I remember last year having about six of them. Then I was thinking, "Hang on, I'm getting a bit too like I'm like I'm sat there watching a movie or something." <laughs> and uh, but this year there was nothing, absolutely nothing. There was no there was water, but luckily we strategically placed my nieces, my sister's uh, kids, about three kilometers into it. So we had that bit of water, a bit of respite, whereas no one else did. They had to keep running. So we got lucky, but the, honestly, the suit conquered me, Dave. I'm, I'm
1: making sure <laughs> next year I'm going to Superman with a proper skin-tight suit on or something. I it's terrible. Skin-tight. I, I said to you, you should go as Prince Namor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little green trunks. I don't, Stick I don't, some I don't, wings don't. on the ankles, and, and you're sorted with the weather then.
0: <laughs> well, I'd say I might be in shape by then, Dave, but there's no way I could do him at the moment. Anyway, you not. Know, <laughs>
1: Just in terms of the um, pictures and stuff that you posted up there, what is with the negative panda look? What's that? Well, you've obviously had sunglasses or something and gone out in the sun and fallen asleep. So you've got the whole red face minus where your shades have been. (laughs) Oh, no, David, it was terrible. There was a really bad picture. I think Sam put it on Instagram. We were by the pool
0: one of the days, and it got quite windy. I believe actually in the UK it was actually warmer, so we by the pool. We got burnt and everything. It was about twenty odd degrees, and it was windy. So I had like I had like a pork pie straw hat and your proper holiday English hat on with a pair of aviators. And I I, thought, I don't know what someone was talking, and I was like, oh, I just want to chill out. And I put my hat down when we me up pushed my glasses down, so we ended up looking like a daisy. Barlow glasses on and, and some big, massive trilby hat on. I looked terrible. On, I mean, we were in the restaurant. This is God's History. We were in the restaurant, and Sam's talking to me, and I'm talking to her dead serious, and we're just chatting away, and she's facing me. And she was to the left, and Sam was crying down. I mean, proper tears down her face. And I, I couldn't stop what She was laughing at I'm like, what are you laughing at? And then she took a picture of my face, and I was like, oh, my God. You know, like, <laughs> It was awful, honestly, but we had a great time. So it's all off. Uh, I'm just editing the vlog at the moment, actually, the holiday vlog for the family. I've got the first one on YouTube, so um,
1: <clears throat> I'm hoping to have four or five parts of that out this week. That's good. That's good. No, it is genuinely really good to catch up with again because obviously we recorded the uh, last week's episode, the Hulk, ahead of time because we we knew you were off. Um, so, you know, we haven't caught up for a little bit. So genuinely good to speak to you again. But you know what the definition of dedication is, Chris? Yep. So I'm away at the minute. I'm in Amsterdam. I'm only here for a, a one full night. And, you know, it's it's generally known as the Venice of the North Amsterdam. There's lots to do here. Lots of vices and whatever. And what am I doing? I'm sat in the hotel room talking to you and recording the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so... That's dedication. Is the definition of dedication. (laughs)
0: Yeah, and then also, Dave. Sorry to cut. Leading into our next subject, I do applaud you, by the way, my friend. Is let's talk about the dedication of watching eight series of Game of Thrones. Now, it's been the end episode over the last twenty four hours. And someone, you've read the books over and over. I think you, you hold it in more high esteem than me. We've discussed it previously a couple of episodes ago. What did you think, Dave, of the actual final series and episode especially? And we're going to spoil it, guys. So, as always, if you don't want to hear it, you haven't watched it, please turn off or fast forward. Three, two, one, go, Dave.
1: I have defended this last season. Consistently, But I know there's been a lot of negative comments about it. People signing petitions as they do, you know, about, you know, the whole series should be rewritten. And definitely since season five, when we've gone re- truly off book, the pace has gone up exponentially to the end point. Now I haven't really, it hasn't jarred with me as much as it has with other people because you feel that pace change you know before when people had to send a raven and people in different parts of Westeros and Essos they didn't know what was going on you felt that disconnected um, you felt that disconnected feeling you can't <laughs> feel a feeling can
0: you <laughs> well you you're in the right place if you can dave but <laughs>
1: I can't think what the word is. But anyway, you had that sense that everywhere wasn't connected by social media and things that happened in one part of Westeros, people didn't know about in a different part of Westeros. And then, you know, a maester would get a raven and then there'd be some murmurings and then you'd see the ripples of that communication. And so that's why characters like Var- Varys, yeah, Varys would uh, be so important as that master of whisperers. But this last episode, I have to say, was, was a bit of a disappointment, you know. And and again, I I know that people's anger has been going up and up as the season has gone on, but it was just a bit underwhelming. And I don't think it was a terrible episode. I think the cinematography was great. I think the music was great. I think the acting was good. But just the story, the writing, I just don't think was great and and there's lots of logic leaps so again I'll, I'll emphasize on the spoilers there's some things that just don't add up you know the way john kills daenerys at the end there it it, it just didn't add up and drogon the big old dragon there there's no way that he wouldn't turn john snow into a tiny little crisp after no. he's just killed his mom no, no. way And there's also Grey Worm, you know, utter bloodthirsty, trained from, you know, being a young kid, trained to be an assassin. There's no way he wouldn't have killed Tyrion and Jon Snow. And why are you letting Tyrion give his lawyer's wrap-up speech? When he's on trial. I know. And then he says who the, the king is, doesn't he? Yeah. He's like, I mean, it's, it's like, you know, and, and I think it should be Bran. And everyone's like, mm, good point, good point. And he's on trial. I what know. are you
0: doing? Yeah, I, I've got to say, Dave, I agree. And I know you're a lot more passionate about the series than me. I, I, it's something I've stuck with from the start. I said to you that I fell off, come back in, caught up but I thought this episode was absolute nonsense. You could see last week what was going to go on with Jon and Daenerys a million times. She just went full one eighty on a character from the whole eight series. And what was the point of saying who Jon Snow was? And he could have been the the ruler of the Seven, you know, the Iron Throne. And then basically they just went. In fact, Jon, you're a nobody. See ya. And they just sent him back to where he came from. He was just he was just the born the bastard.
1: Yeah, I I I, I don't know. I mean, you know, he. He killed Daenerys, yeah. But he was the rightful heir to the throne. Yeah. So you know, lots of rulers have killed lots of people, and they kind of get away with it because they're highborn and they, you know, they're the rulers. So it was just weird. And and the last bit, where Tyrion's got his whole small council bit. You know, and everyone's having a bit of a laugh and a bit of a joke, and he's resetting the chairs. You know, before everyone come in, it felt like a an episode of Police Squad. I was just and Bronze making jokes, and I just expected you know everyone to share a laugh, and it's a freeze frame, and then in comes the music. You know, in comes a bit of seventies close off music. It it was just I don't know. It was just a bit bizarre. Well, did you, well, the only thing I'd get, which is a, is a bit of a link
0: and a reach for us, is what about Aya's Batman bit, Dave, the Val Kilmer bit where she's getting all her gear ready to go on the crusade across the west bit, which where there isn't a map? Did, did you get that? She was, she was getting well, you get a telescope and clicking it in like, like Val Kilmer did.
1: It was, yeah. <laughs> we didn't get the, the gratuitous Val Kilmer butt shot. No. Um, but, I mean, <laughs> so for the last three seasons I would say it's had a feeling that the writers know that the end is coming and they're they're rushing it to get to the end and spawn off all these spin-off series so they can create this franchise and make lots of money for their producers yeah but there's nothing it it has been exponential and this last episode has just taken another leap on. And so the whole Aria thing where she's going west, you know, she's going to go to whatever the equivalent of the US is. You know, she's the equivalent of Christopher Columbus. She's going to go across there. And then you've got Jon Snow. Clearly, he's not going to take the black. He's going to disappear over the other side of the wall and disappear off with the wildlings, possibly to become the king beyond the wall. And, you know, Sansa saying, um, you know what, we kind of want to be independent. So, of the Seven Kingdoms, you know, the North, we feel like we should have independence. Oh, all right, then. <laughs> and everyone yeah. else is just like, yeah, that's all right, isn't it? Well, why aren't Dawn saying, uh, I'd like independence too? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's true. There's I- just too many logic leaps. And you know who I blame, Chris? Go on. George r r martin because he right? finished the book he has been dilly dallying for the best part of ten years now, and uh, you know has not finished these books, and I absolutely love the books, I love the series, but i I just think well, what's he been doing? he's really taking his eye off the ball, and I do wonder i'm sure i've said to you before that I've tried to finish that book five a few times and I just haven't been able to do it. I haven't really felt it, the the burning enthusiasm that I do have. Certainly for the first three, four, I wondered a little bit. And five, it just dropped off. I wonder if he's really wrote himself into a corner that he honestly can't finish himself and he's let it run. He's let this series run to see how the public reacts to it. And now he's going to write it so it it's different to how the series has been.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. It, it felt a bit to me, Dave, it's like when Lost was the big phenomenon. And I know towards the last couple of series, people were losing a bit of track and it was losing a bit of track. It's a bit like Walking Dead. But, but I felt the ending was so rushed and that. And, and it wasn't even like we got a total conclusion after eight series. You know what I mean? Like you, you've killed off Jamie Lannister. He was a good character. I know he was probably going to be someone who gets killed off because of what he did early in the series, but he did redeem himself. Uh, Cersei was obviously horrible from the get go. Once she, she was obviously scared, but she played this horrible ruler, unscrupulous character. And the way they died, and the fact that the bricks didn't really do much damage to him, and when Tyrion found him, there was just one brick. Like holding him down, I was just like, "Oh, <laughs> come on!" You know what I mean? This is is absolute nonsense. And, and I don't know. I, it it felt to me, and I said this to a few people. I don't know about you. It felt like I was watching a YouTube parody or YouTube produced Game of Thrones episode with a big budget because the brand situation was just absolutely pathetic. He never fought uh, the uh, Night King, won it. He? he never fought him. He never. He never did anything, really, other than a few flashbacks and stuff on a, a few series ago, and then all of a sudden he becomes such a prominent figure. Because I thought when they were sat around that little thing at the end, the Coliseum, and they bring Tyrion, I thought they are going to say, well, Jon Snow's going to be the thing, and someone's going to reveal about him. But they didn't, and I was like, oh, this is... I just thought he was absolutely pathetic. I felt like I had to watch it for completion purposes, but genuinely, it wasn't...
1: But do you not know I think, I, I mean, I, I completely agree with all of that. And I remember seeing a meme a few weeks ago and it was like, it was a little stick figure kind of drawing, but it was someone, you know, hovering over Bran and it was like, go on, do something. Yeah. <laughs> and even in the books, I have to say, you know, because the way George R.R. R. Martin writes the, the books, he writes it from the perspective of the character. So it's not like a a narrator's walk through a story. Each chapter starts with who he's writing it from the perspective of. And each time I turn the page, it's like Bran. And I'd be like, oh, God, here we go. Where are we going now? Yeah. (laughs) And so when, when Tyrion was saying, you know, about what a great story, I was thinking, well, yeah, to be fair, Jon Snow has got a great story. And he says, Bran, I'm like, what? <laughs> so, yeah, it's all right, but not really. No. You know, I, I don't know. But I, I will say this. So, George R.R. R. Martin does have a blog that he calls not a blog, but he he writes various things, and it's very gushing about, you know, the series and how he didn't expect the journey to be As it was, and I'm thinking, stop writing this blog and get on with that book for God's sake. But I picked out a quote and it says, The winds of winter is very late. I know, I know, but it will be done. I won't say when, I've tried that before, only to burn you all and jinx myself. But I will finish it. And then will come a dream of spring. (laughs) Now, I'm not saying I doubt George's words. But he's a big fella, and he's not a spring chicken either. So, I I I really hope he does get to finish this book, and I'll be right there reading it. It hasn't dampened my enthusiasm for the for the whole series, the whole series of books, the whole series on the TV. But you know, I, I don't know if we're going to see a different ending to this. But I do think we'll see different spin-offs. I think Arya going west on the sea is probably going to be one. Possibly John beyond the wall would be another. I've got a feeling Grey Worm going to Nath, to where Miss Andy was from. I've got a feeling that could be a, a, a whole series. So I think all of these spin-offs might happen, but I'm not sure we'll see a different ending to Game of Thrones.
0: No, I, I, and also time-wise, I agree. I think... I just don't think people... I think people are going to get burnt, Dave, and be like, why am I going to invest so much time if we're going to get an ending like that? And and also, I, I just I just don't think... I just don't think it'll work. I saw that they're actually... And I think Naomi Watts is starring... They're making a prequel, aren't they, of Game of Thrones? You started filming it, and it's set a 1,000 years before this lot of films, but it's like, well, what, what are you going to be living in? Are you going to have dinosaurs going around? Is there going to be... You know I know obviously dragons there, uh, so but you know like you' thinking you well what they're gonna shoot each other with a, a rock are they gonna throw rock each well other?
1: it it doesn't exactly follow our timeline, so if it goes a thousand years before, then the wall has been there for thousands of years, so it, i i and the first men came thousands of years before, so it's not like us where you go back two thousand years and you get to you know where our calendar started and Jesus being around, if you're that way inclined, so I, 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 th- I think they could. It will just be almost the Westeros that we recognise in terms of the technology, but just different characters. It will probably be about you know Aegon Targaryen and you know uniting the kingdoms and whatever. So I think there's loads of stories they could tell there. I'd really like to see, you know, something about Robert's Rebellion. Yeah. So you know, going from that period where you'd been under Targaryen rule for a long time, and then you know things bubble up, uh, Robert gets shunned, and then you know creates this rebellion. I, I think that'd be a good story, but that's just one generation before. Yeah. You know, not a thousand years. So I don't know. Let Let's see. But you're absolutely right. I think this last season. And in particular, the finale might just switch a lot of people off. Yeah, I, I
0: do. I, when John was talking to Ira and stuff, and he was like, "You know, she's crying and all this stuff," I, I had no, I didn't feel anything. I just was like, go on, then finish," because we know that. When, I just, I'd had enough. I was like, "Well, it's not gripping me. It's not like I'm, I'm emotionally attached." You know what I mean? You get Captain America and Sam saying on your left, and I'm gone like a little baby. But this was just. Absolute nonsense. Coincidentally, Dave, I did have two guys tap me on the shoulder when I was running in the race saying, Cap on your left. So I was quite happy. Oh, really?
1: That. Yeah. <laughs> that
0: is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, run past. They were running past me when they said it, by
1: the way. But yeah. <laughs> well, that goes without saying. <laughs> <laughs> Only two. <laughs> <laughs> On, been yeah. mostly DC fans <laughs> <laughs> oh I do I do have to say so we, we we'll go off Game of Thrones now but but again you know I'm sure the internet I, I it was funny because the the directors are obviously going from Game of Thrones straight to direct Star Wars so <laughs> they've managed to toxify you know, the Game of Thrones fan base and and jump into an equally toxic at the minute fan base of Star Wars. So we'll we'll see how that goes. But um I can't remember, was it last episode or the episode before that? I was saying that I thought that maybe uh there was a hint in Endgame and, and it wasn't just me, I'd I'd read this on the internet somewhere, that there was a hint at Namor the the submariner um, from end game. And apparently Kevin Feige, you know, who has been the architect of this whole infinity saga has shot that down said, no, yeah, it's nothing to do with Namor. So I, I'm a little bit gutted at that. I would love to see Namor, the Prince, the Prince Mara, the yeah. Submariner in the, uh, Uh, in the marvel universe at some point but apparently that's that's not going to happen i I tell you what i did notice though apparently i thought endgame was going to be the closure to this infinity saga yeah and it's not it's going to be it's going to be spider-man What this homecoming one Uh, far from home sorry far from home yeah yeah so apparently that is going to be you know the full stop on the infinity saga which I, I, I'd literally heard that this week, and I was like, "Oh, all right then, fair enough." I didn't know that. That's just random as heck, that, isn't it? Yeah, it does. say... I, I thought this was going to be, you know, the, the start of the next, next series. So, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, uh let's see. But uh, the only other thing I've got to say, Chris. So after our Hulk episode, it did twing, twing, if twing is a word. Yep and I should say twing a few more twinging times. Ping? Well, what was the right word? Pluck? I don't know. It twing. did spark something off in me. Yeah. That, you know, I just went back to that original Hulk series, and I thought, you know what? I've got to watch a little bit more of that. And so, you know, got that whole first series on Amazon Prime, started working my way through it, and by God, it is gloriously awful. <laughs> 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 the acting—I don't know if we're—we're we're probably not going to have time because there's so much stuff to go through. But it is a wonderful capsule of the seventies, and you know it's so sexist. <laughs> it just—the acting's awful. The special effects are something else. I mean, in one episode, you've got the Hulk wrestling with this bear. And initially, it's David Banner wrestling with the bear, but you can see when it's the stump man, you know, who's obviously one of these bear handler types because you can't ever see David's, uh, or, you know, Bill Bixby's face. But when it, when you can see Bill Bixby, it's clearly like a stuffed animal. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then when, he, when we get the loofering no Hulk, he's kind of wrestling with the bear again, very clearly a man in a suit. But then he just throws him, <laughs> like, and it's just like throwing a teddy bear. It's just brilliant. It is just, honestly, I I, I can't recommend it enough. <laughs> it is well worth going back and watching. And, you know, for for us, when we're signing our online petitions because we're not happy about how our story's gone, just think about, you know, 30, 40 years ago, this was the kind of fantasy that we were subjected to. Yeah, <laughs> I've got to watch that, actually, because I said to you, I am going to
0: watch the first series. It's on Amazon, isn't as we said, so... It is oh, well uh, worth a watch. Yeah, I will. I will. I will promise you I will watch it. I definitely will watch it. So, So, Dave, it's that time again of the show. What are we going to review? And have you got some comic book background, please?
1: Well, as you were running as Captain America in the charity race, and a very noble cause it is, all uh, for the Christie Hospital, um look after cancer patients and whatever, then there's only one thing we could really do and that is to go back to Captain America First Avenger. Now, Captain America was created by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby and it first appeared in Captain America Comics number one cover date, March 1941. Though on the stands, it was available to buy in December 1940. This was what almost exactly one year before the attack on Pearl Harbor, which led to the US formally joining World War II, which I thought was fairly interesting. There's obviously a lot of sentiment, you know, um, from the American public before, you know, America got involved in the war. Now, this was published by Timely Comics, which was a predecessor to Marvel. So even though Marvel only came into existence in the 1960s, Cap, is one of its golden age characters. Now, Joe Simon had created the original sketch and wrote at the bottom of his sketch, Super American. But he gave the following quote in his autobiography. No, it didn't work. There were too many supers around. Captain America had a good sound to it. There weren't a lot of captains in comics. It was, an easy, it was as easy as that. The boy companion was simply named Bucky, after my friend Bucky Pearson a star in our high school basketball team. Joe had been tasked by timely publisher Martin Goodman to create a solo series as soon as possible. In order to meet the deadline, Joe was thinking to draft an artist or artists to help his regular creative partner, Jack Kirby. But Kirby insisted he could meet his deadline on his own, and so Joe relented and Jack met in all of his deadlines to get the issues out with all of the pencils being his own. That first issue sold nearly a million copies and became very popular right from the start, though there were some negative responses too, and the creative team had various threatening letters and hate mail. Don't know why I'm laughing at that bit. Imagine if Twitter was available then. <laughs> <laughs> now, Captain America wasn't the first patriotically themed superhero, though. MLJ who would go on to become Archie Comics had created a character called The Shield. And they complained that Cap's Shield too closely resembled the chess symbol for their character. So for issue two, Martin Goodman had Kirby and and Simon create a distinctive round shield that's the one that we know today. A little mention on the MLJ Shield character's origin. So he was a chemist called Joe Higgins, and his father had been working on a formula for super strength, which the Germans were after, and his father was killed by a saboteur called Hans Fritz. Is there a more stereotypical German name you could get than that? I'm not, <laughs> I'm not that sure. Now, Joe completes his father's work, and he uses the formula on himself to become the Shield. Now, we'll be kind and say that Captain America was influenced <laughs> by the S.H.I.E.L.D. character, but as we've seen in some of our previous episodes, that does seem a little bit too close to the, to the mark, doesn't it? To not be a straight copy. Speaking of which, old Stanley Lieber, who'd later be- go on to become known as Stan Lee, wrote a filler story in Captain America Comics issue 3 in which the S.H.I.E.L.D. was used as a throwing and returning weapon. Post-war, and as the public's appetite for superheroes declined, so did Cap sales. And the final issue of Captain America Comics, 73, was published in 1949. Now, he did make a brief comeback in 1953 and 54, but this was pretty much short-lived and was cancelled soon after. However, under Marvel, we've, we're now into Marvel Comics era. In 1963, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby brought him back in a Human Torch story in Strange Tales 114, and it was just a teaser story to gaze, to see if fans were interested in the return of Captain America. Now, according to Stan Lee, the fan response was very enthusiastic, and he brought him back in Avengers number four in 1964, which explained that he'd fallen into the sea in a prototype airplane near the end of the war and had been in suspended animation since, helped on by that super soldier serum. This gave the character a whole new dimension as that man out of time. So, at the time, he was geared up as this man who's from the 1940s trying to deal with living in the 1960s but you can just rewrite that story again and again he's that man at a time so just plunk him out of the 40s and put him in whichever decade you want to now without going into details the way they quite often explain the previous decades is that there was someone else running around as Captain America but we'd go off into the several tangents around that. But again, a really interesting character. And I think one of the things that separates him. So during the Watergate scandal, you know, he, he, Steve Rogers threw off that Captain America mantle and called himself the nomad. And he identified more with being, um, believing in that American dream and not just following the government of the day. And so, that is one of the reasons I fell in love with the character. And i it's hard not to gush, quite honestly, like a bit of a fanboy. But, but anyway, hopefully that gives you a bit of a taster on the the Heery. There's a lot more backstory than that, but um, hopefully that gives you a nice little taster. Now, Chris, how about the movie background?
0: Yeah, so we're going back to April 1997. Marvel were in negotiations with Mark Gordon and Gary Leverson to produce a Captain America film with Larry Wilson and Leslie Bowen on board to write the script. In May 2000, Marvel team with Artisan Entertainment to sort of finance the project. However, there's a lawsuit arose between Marvel Comics and Joe Simon over, who's the, about the ownership of Captain America copyrights and who's going to distribute the film now, the lawsuit eventually was settled in 2003, so we'd had three years of limbo. In 2005, Marvel received the $525 million investment from Merrill Lynch, allowing them to independently produce 10 films, including Captain America. Now, I've got a feeling that Merrill Lynch has got the money back and some. Um, the Paramount Pictures agreed to distribute the film, which I'd actually forgotten watching. It. It's like Paramount P- uh, Pictures were on the start of this, Dave, as, as the distributor, until I watched it uh, a couple of nights ago. Now, in 2006, John Favreau actually pr- approached the producers about doing the Captain America film, but as a comedy. But luckily, he, he sort of stepped down from that and decided to go make Iron Man instead, which you know I think was probably a right decision at that time because we did, definitely didn't need a comedy version of Captain. Around this time, now it was also put on hold, Captain America, anyway, in two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight, because of the Writers Guild that was over in America, where they had the big strike with pay and everything. I remember quite a few of my shows, including Prison Break, which took a nosedive after they come back from this uh, strike, um, and then eventually Marvel Entertainment reached an agreement with the Writers Guild of America to, to get, you know, everything back on board and get. The writers back to work on various projects including Iron Man and that and Captain America again was Shell for a couple of years. Uh, now in December 2009, Joe Johnson was brought on as director and indicated he wanted to start filming around about April 2010, which was really good. Now, what was interesting was, originally, they were going to split this first film up, so it was going to be... So one half was set in the 1940s, and then the other half was going to be set in the modern times, but they decided against that. Didn't feel it would tell a proper origin story of the character. And this also led, originally, with Johnson's uh, speculation that the submariner may come in it, because he did actually call his team the Invaders. So that was something that he actually poo-pooed off and said, no, that's definitely not something they're going to be doing but unofficially the group that Captain America creates. Now, I remember you, Dave, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, and I didn't have to research this, but the guys we get together in this film unofficially were called the Howling Commandos. Now, If I'm if I'm mm-hmm. not correct, isn't that what Nick Fury was involved with as well?
1: That's right, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Nick Fury and the Howling Commandos, I mean, that's, that's where he originally came from in the comics.
0: Ah, right, okay. Because I remember you mentioned that on the, the Nick Fury episode and said that's where Captain America crossed over with Nick Fury, didn't he? And that's where the connection was. So that was just something I picked up on, Dave. So you are rubbing off on me with this comic book stuff, definitely. Now, up for the part of Captain America was Ryan Filippo, uh, which I think around about 2007, 2008 he was probably his powers, and John Krasinski as well. Uh, But luckily, they obviously give it to Chris Evans, which is great. Now, Sebastian Stan was also up for the role of Captain America, but they decided to cast him as Bucky Barnes, as we all know. Now, now location-wise, and I can see this within the film watching it again, a lot of the locations are actually based around England, and especially in the Northwest. Now, the Northern Quarter in Manchester, which is used for quite a lot of films before Captain America, we had Alfie 2004 with Jude Law, we had Sherlock Holmes, Robert Downey Jr., Jude Law. They shot quite a few things there because of the period location. They wanted to create the Lower East Side of Manhattan, and they also used the Stanley Dock area Liverpool as well, which is really good. Um, Now, I I could see this more and more watching the initial car chase in this when Steve chases after the... um, Hydra agent who's took like, the sort of serum and that, and I could definitely see it was Manchester. And obviously they've used the Northern Quarter again quite recently, filming the new Jared Leto, or oh, what was it called, Dave, the, the Marvel film that he's making. Oh, Morbius. Morbius, that's exactly where they filmed that as well. Uh, which, For some reason, the, the buildings just look like New York. It's something that, and it's cheaper to film there. So uh, obviously with the Batman stuff we've seen in the past, they've used England.
1: So not, not to disrupt your flow, but I, I remember when we were talking about the Morbius being filmed and, and I'd said about Captain America being shot a lot in Manchester, basically because it looks like an old run down hellhole. Um <laughs> <laughs> now no, no, little it's cheeky very, dick there. <laughs> <completely> <laughs> no, there. No, no. <laughs> so, no, but just the, the yeah. old buildings, it lends itself um, and probably it's just cheaper than shutting down, you know, the bits of New York that look older. So, yeah, yeah and and I remember you saying at the time that that you didn't remember that. So, I'd, I'd just be interested do you remember, do, do you recognize it now?
0: Yeah, more and more. And I think what was quite apparent watching it again was they just kept using the same buildings over and over when there was that initial car chase when he was chasing him barefoot. You know, and, and the guy was in the the, the car driving yeah. around. It, it was pretty obvious. It was the same buildings on a bit of a loop with the CGI, but it didn't. It wasn't anything bad. It's just I recognised it a lot, and I, like you say, I, I'd call myself out on that because I didn't recognise it. Uh, now, actual uh, visual effects as well, Dave. They actually use sixteen hundred visual effects uh, special shots just to give that effect of. Steve Rogers, when he was very thin and very small, and very you know, he was ill one, he? he was he was like a he's about five foot three, five foot four initially. And then, obviously, we you know Chris Evans is about six foot, so that was something they used with different companies to get that effect is to get it right, so it didn't look daft. And I've actually watched some of the stills the last couple of days of the films he of the scenes he filmed as normal, and then obviously, when it they shrunk him down. Now, I know, obviously. It can be a little bit distracting watching this because you know chris Evans isn 't that high uh, isn 't that small, sorry uh, he might have had to be high i don 't know, but he isn 't that small or he isn't that... Sc- scandalous. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are in Amsterdam Dave but anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so so i think I think they pulled it off if i'm being honest um, it, it was always something that did stick me when it first came out in two thousand and eleven, but I can get understand the technology. You know, has improved a lot, even in eight or nine years. At the time, it was quite revolutionary as well. Oh, now, Dave, I'm actually going to... I hope you don't mind. I'm going to take a little bit of comic savvy on this, if you don't mind. Now, in February 2011, Marvel Comics launched an eight-issue digital comic, Captain America First Vengeance. And that was on the same day as the first trailer aired. It was written by Fred Van Lent and featured a rotation of artists. The story is set in the MCU, but each of the eight issues focuses on a character from... Uh, captain america first avenger whether it be heroes villains and, and he went for that i don't know whether you've seen him Dave, at all but that's something that they, that they coincided with it
1: uh, i'm trying to think back now so I'm, I'm not sure because i i'm not even sure if captain america when this came out i think he might have even been dead in the comics Oh, right. So, uh, you know, in the in the kind of mid-2000s, I'm sure it was around 2006, 2007-ish, was when you had the whole Civil War crossover. Right. Now, uh, you saw that in Captain America 3, essentially, didn't you? Where, you know, you've got Captain America going up against Iron Man. They've both got competing ideologies, both passionately believe in whichever side it is they come from and and you can see both perspectives as well the way that ends for cap is he's murdered and he's actually murdered by Sharon Carter now she's under the influence of um uh, of some villains i i can't remember if it was if it wasn't paranzemo i i can't quite remember now but essentially she uh, she kills him under the influence So he went for a period of being dead. You know, he went for a couple of years there. And to bring him back, they had to bring him out of time. Now, I can't quite remember. Um, I'd have to go back and look at it. But they dragged him out of time. So he wasn't actually dead. He was stuck in time and bouncing between different time periods. And they just had to grab him back out of there. So I, I, I... long-winded answer to say I can't quite remember it in, in terms of time periods when that came out. Ah, right, fair enough, fair enough. Uh,
0: now, it premiered, the world premiere was on July the 19th, 2011 at the El Capitan Theater in Hollywood, California. Now, Paramount actually opted and gave the option to different countries to change the title of the film to just the first Avenger. Many international distributors chose to keep Captain America, there because uh, Paramount worried that it may have some inf- influence with it saying Captain America on some of the political and world issues with the you know U.S., uh, especially with Russia, South Korea, and Ukraine. Um, now they, the only countries that did change it to the first Avenger for obvious reasons, all other uh, places kept it as Captain America, which is good. Uh, now box office wise, again. Pretty much a great success. It made 176 million in the US and Canada, and then it made 193 million internationally, which give it an overall profit of 370.6 million, which is really good. So, uh, yeah, yeah, great. And then on top of that, Dave, he sold 1.5 million Blu rays and 726,000 DVDs, which again give it another total of 52.6 million. So it was a success. And we know from this, obviously, we'd have Iron Man before that, and I think 4 was just about to be released as well around the same time. Now, on Rotten Tomatoes, it's at 80% with an average user rating of basically 7 out of 10. That's off 264 reviews. On Metacritic, it's 66 out of 100 based on 43 reviews, which is generally favorable. And then on the audience poll by CineScore, it's at A-, minus, which is an A plus to F scale, which is really, really good. And that's all I've got on this one, mate.
1: Those are pretty good scores. Now, I am sure I've said to you in the past, and and I said a few weeks ago after Endgame, that I genuinely think that the Captain America trilogy might just be my favourite trilogy ever, because I think everyone is an absolute belter. I, but i have heard a lot of negative things about you know particularly the the first avenger you know and people say oh well, these origin movies they're just a bit slow and i, I remember thinking I, like, what are you on about now I put my cards on the table i love the captain america character i'm also very interested in uh, world war Two and world war one so you know i'm a i'm an amateur academic student if you like I, i'm just very interested in what led up to that and you know probably that's why i'm so interested in game of thrones you know if you look at that's a fantasy thing but if you look at you know certainly what led up to world war one it's all about these interrelationships and these different events influencing these macro events and so i, I when you put something on screen that, you know, is a character that you love in a setting that you're very interested in, um you've probably got me 70% of the way there, but I just thought it was fantastic. And, you know, what they did with Chris Evans, I'm looking at the screen for the first time in the cinema and thinking, how are you doing that? I know that isn't Chris Evans, because normally you do the old, you know, Superman 1, you do uh, the Christopher Reeve voice on another actor's yeah. <laughs> lines, don't you? You know that's how you de-age someone. I'm like, how have the how have they done that? I just thought it was amazing. I'm, I don't don't want to put my cards all the way on the table and go straight to my review before we've done the walkthrough. But um, yeah, I, I I'm genuinely interested in what you think, because I don't think going into this, you were that impressed. And so I really can't wait for this review. So shall we get into it? Let's go.
0: Okay, so we've obviously split into three parts as always. Uh, You've got my dulcet tone today, guys, reading the plot points. So uh, here we go. In the present day, researchers in the Arctic Circle uncovered the buried wreckage of a large wing-shaped aircraft. While investigating the aircraft's interior, two of the researchers discover a frozen circular object with red, white and blue motif. In 1942, Hydra forces led by Johann Schmidt invaded Church- Stone Church in Tonsberg, Norway, seeking a mysterious cosmic artefact known as the Tesseract. In 1943, New York City resident Steve Rogers is once again rejected for military duty on the battlefields of World War II, despite making multiple attempts at different enlistment offices due to his frail physical appearance and numerous health issues. While attending Stark Expo with his friend, Bucky Barnes, Rogers attempts to enlist again. After overhearing Rogers' conversation with Barnes about wanting to help in the war, Abraham Erskine allows Rogers to enlist as the candidate of Project Rebirth, a super soldier experiment being conducted by the SSR, the Strategic Scientific Reserve, under the supervision of Erskine, Chester Phillips, and Peggy Carter. Back in Europe, Schmidt and Arne Zola, using one of his machines, successfully harnessed the energies of the Tesseract, intending to use the power to fuel Zola's inventions. Meanwhile, Schmidt, having discovered Erskine's location, dispatches an assassin to kill him. Now, Dave there's a lot to go through there and I hope I've done it justice. But what are your this initial first acts? What were your initial thoughts on this?
1: Well, initially, especially when you love a movie and we go back in this podcast and we kind of look at it a little bit more critically. And the more reviews we do, the more kind of data points you have on, you know, what do you think makes a good movie? What, doesn't make a good movie. I went back to this and I just loved it again, (laughs) straight away. Now I did notice a few more things. You know, you've got Walder Frey, (laughs) a German Walder Frey in there as the actor, you know, putting on a bit of a German accent. You know that a lot of this is shot in England because the amount of English actors you've got in there. But I just thought it was great. Again, I, I'd completely forgotten that initially you start off with the present day. You know, they find the frozen capsicle. Yeah. Uh, but then you go back into wartime. And again, I, I still think I've heard moans about, oh, yeah, you can see that that, you know, Chris Evans is, you know, it's all CGI, isn't it? the hell do you expect we know we know chris evans is a specimen so when we see this weedy sickly little bloke we obviously know it's not him but somehow they managed to glue his face onto it and despite the crisp you know hd that we've got now i'm looking at it and thinking i don't see the joins someone else who probably is an expert in doing this kind of thing, might be able to see the joins, but it's just a a watcher, I don't. And I just thought it was brilliant. I thought the way they got across some of Steve's virtues, you know, he's got no superpowers, but he's got a heart of goals straight off the bat. You know, and again, even though at this particular time, actually, I, I guess in the story, America are part of the war. Because old Bucky's off to the off to Europe, isn't he? So yeah. So I guess yeah. Because uh, when the comics were published, they they weren't part of the war. But you know, regardless, Steve's doing his utmost. He feels it's his duty to go across and sign up. And you know, it's Irksine who who sees that in him. You know, he's desperately trying to sign up and when he asks him, do you want to go and kill Nazis? And he says, you know, I don't really want to kill anyone, but I don't like bullies. I just think, oh, it just makes you feel all warm and fuzzy inside. I just think, oh, I just want to give him a little cuddle. (laughs) <laughs> you know, so I, I just, I just thought it was brilliant. The whole first act of when you know he's going through his training, and again, you know, part of his whole power set, he's obviously got the physical attributes, but he's an expert strategist as well, which the Super Soldier Serum kind of ramps up a bit. But when he, uh, when you have all the troops, all the trainees, squaddies, they're trying to get to the flag. And old Steve he's at the back of the he's at the back, you know, clearly struggling him physically. And he just takes out the the screw there, flag drops to the floor, and then he gets a lift back to the camp. I just thought again, just a very simple way to just show, okay, he's not physically the biggest. You've got Tommy Lee Jones there, he clearly doesn't like him, but you know, he's got a lot going upstairs, so Honestly, Chris, this first act, I'm loving it. Well, I've got to say, Dave, did you, I mean, you've probably seen it. I've, I'm not
0: trying to um, say an Easter egg that's probably been out for years. Obviously, it's been out since 2011, but did you see the guy who calls through when he's finding the shield at the start? It was Phil Coulson, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah which I'd never noticed that before, so I thought, oh, that's a nice little Easter egg. But no, I'm with you. I, I, I Genuinely, Dave, I'll be honest with you, I've only watched this once. And and I I didn't remember a lot of it. To be fair, I, I didn't. There was loads. The, the bits that stick out was initially when he changes and he's had the serum. And I remember him when he gets the beat down from that guy when he in the cinema when he keeps saying to him, you know, and he's the small Steve Rogers, like you know, mm-hmm. quiet buddy. And then Bucky comes along and gives the guy a bit of a good eye, does not he? And he's got his his suit on and that. And I remember all that, but. There was loads. I, even the stuff with Agent Carter, because I've never seen the Agent Carter series, i would never realised properly until these last couple of Avengers, even the Civil War and that, and I've seen them, is, is how important she was to him. as such. I know he sounds daft that day because he's so integral part of Steve Rogers and his whole story arc of the MCU. But, yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I was pleasantly surprised. I, I didn't think it was a bad film because I've never thought, that. I've always thought it was a, a cracking uh, film and a great origin story, but watching it again, and even though it's eight years old, there was no, no point did I think, oh God, that looks a bit jarring. Like I say, the only thing for me, is, I know like, it might be slightly different to you, is, yeah, I agree, Chris Evans, the CGI is fantastic, but because you know it's him, and it's CGI, I know it sounds daft, but he's not done like a Christian Bale, obviously he can't shrink six or seven inches, <laughs> but he's not done a Christian Bale and got all, you know, uh, what's he called, the... the uh, the, the, the Machinist, whatever he's called, or whatever that's called. Oh,
1: crikey, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, but- sorry. I, I, no, and, and to be fair, his body transformation in The Machinist, absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. I thought you were going to call out Christian Bale from Batman Begins, where he basically grows his hair a little bit <laughs> and says, oh, yeah, I'm just back from college, Alfred.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm 48, but I've got, like, I've just called my air forward. No, oh. no.
1: Henry Cavill, who's yeah. <laughs> supposed to be, you know, an equal age, you know, yeah. seeing his dad, you know, Kevin Costner die. And he's also just clearly 30 or something.
0: Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, it's amazing what you can do with just a bit of uh, combing your hair know, forward there. I have a go at that, Dave. I might as <laughs> well but, but, yeah, it, it, it's a good film and it, it starts really well. And I think it introduces the characters you care about Steve, and I've got to say as well, though, Dave, I think I always will always say Hugo Weaving for me is always, I know he's been in Lord of the Rings and that, but he's always going to be Agent Smith for me out of um, the Matrix, always. But in this, and initially when he comes on the screen, I'm like, oh, it's Agent Smith, you know, because he plays a good bad guy in the Matrix. But he's really good in this as the Red Skull. He really is good in it. And, and
1: You know what? I I think here I probably am a little bit influenced by, you know, the real world. And, you know, you kind of have this meta-awareness. And Hugo Weaving's got a general modus operandi of just slating everything he's ever been in. And it just irritates me about the person, not the character. I think the character, I think he's fine as the Red Skull. And you know, again, you have to go back, and you know, the public weren't really aware of who Hydra was, and so you know, it, it's it comes across as this little splinter group of the you know the Nazi Germany kind of thing. But you know, I th- I think he plays a decent character, but it just irritates me about the person. How he just like says, "Oh yeah, I did this," and it, you know, it's rubbish.
0: Well, I, I never knew that. I've never heard that before.
1: Yeah, so I mean, in in Endgame, you've got um, oh, I can't remember what the actor's name is now, but the guy who Blaine. plays Aaron out the Walking Dead, yeah, and and he's playing the Red Skull, and so yeah, he, he, I can't think of any particular quotes uh, that Hugo Weaving's done, but yeah, he just generally, just he'll do something and then he'll poo poo all over it.
0: Ah, right, okay, I never knew that. It's quite a good. Uh revelation that day i'll have to read some of his quotes on the matrix then i think he's really good i think he defined his career in the matrix
1: I, i'm not sure about the matrix to be honest um I, but I, I do remember the red skull stuff you know and it was it was quite clear he'd never come back as that character
0: no maybe well yeah obviously we're not going to reveal our hand as we walk through it but yeah maybe that's why they ended it how they did with his character but yeah I think I think the, story, they are, the way they tell the story, very good, very good. I'm enjoying it, David. I'll, I'll be honest, I didn't know whether I'd watch it in two sittings, but I sat there on Sunday and I watched it all the way through again on my laptop. I absolutely loved it, I'll, I'll be honest with you.
1: I wonder if he was just a bit – it was part of a timing thing, which, again, we're watching it in hindsight. Again, I'm not watching it back in 2011 with a, and let me say, a normal perspective. With that said, I love the character from the comics. I love all the, the kind of World Wars history stuff. But when I first heard that they were going to make a movie out of Captain America, my first thought is, well, I remember the other ones. This is going to be terrible. So I guess my expectations were fairly low. And But when I watched it, I absolutely loved it. And this time, you know, I I absolutely loved it again. But I just wonder from the wider public, whether everything post 2008, remember we had Iron Man come out and The Dark Knight, two absolutely mammoth comic book movies. I just wonder whether this was overshadowed a bit by that. And also, don't forget, you've got Chris Evans, who'd already been in two movies before. He'd been the Human Torch. Yeah. Yeah yeah so it wasn't I mean now I honestly can't imagine anyone else as Captain America. I'm gonna have to get over that obviously with with the Winter Soldier and Falcon series, but it, now I can't imagine anyone else as it
0: no, I agree, I agree, and I think as well is i i don't know if you've done the same, but I watched this as well, looking for any Easter eggs and things pointing towards. Endgame and the Avengers films because I'd never really, even though I'd seen these in the the actual chronological order, I'd never paid much attention to where these little things. The only thing I'd say, Dave, and I don't know whether you picked up on this as well, if you go into Endgame, and obviously uh, Tony Stark meets his dad in 1970, so it's 25 years after this this film, time wise, so his dad. Tony Stark's Dad Howard Stark, must have been in his 50s when he had Tony. I'm not saying you can't father a child when you're in your 50s but why did they make him look or try to de-age him a little bit when he met him in the 70s? You know, like, it just I, don't, I couldn't work that out. I know that sounds daft and it's a little nitpick but I'm thinking well, he, he's obviously mid-20s, maybe 30 in this. So 25, so he's 55, say, realistically, in my, my sort of reckoning. I just thought continuity-wise,
1: it didn't make much sense to be honest. <laughs> yeah I mean so Howard Stark's casting as, as and I and will call it a nitpick it is a nitpick of mine because you know they flip flop in between I, I can't remember what the chaps oh, what was his name he first appeared in Iron Man 2 and, and he was the one who they de-aged in Endgame as well but I really like Dominic Cooper as Howard Stark, and that's who we saw here in Captain America. And and to be honest, I'd forgotten that it was Dominic Cooper in this Captain America. I've, I've forgotten that Howard Stark was even in it at all. I and again. Yeah, I I think it's. You know, we got to Endgame and we were gushing about, you know, how this whole narrative had been architected. And I think there's some of that that's true, but there's a lot of it which are just kind of dangling plot threads, which they picked up later on. Yeah. And that is one of the biggest differences between traditional movie making, I feel, and comic books. So with comic books, I'm sure I've said to you in the past that, They're forced, or not forced, but, you know, the nature of the medium is they need to release a story every single month, and they don't have the luxury of just saying, you know what, let's reboot. Very occasionally, you know, a publisher will do that. So, you know, recently you've had DC do it with um, the New 52 with Rebirth, and then they'll create some kind of parallel universe, you know, Cataclysmic event, and then hey presto, we wipe the slate clean and we can start again. Marvel did it as well. Um, you had this coming together of all the different universes. They had all all Secret Wars two events, and then you know everything becomes simplified, and then you get rid of all that continuity. But generally, different writers who come onto the different books have to deal with what's happened previous to the character. They can't just say, oh, forget all that. We'll just deal with Captain America. He had some super soldier serum, and we'll ignore all his history and we'll create our own story. They have to deal with what that character's been through before and carry it on. Yeah. And so that's what I think, if anything, the Marvel Cinematic Universe has done quite well. If I compare it to the X-Men universe that didn't even keep continuity with itself. And again, I don't think the MCU is perfect and without its plot holes, but I do think they dangle these plot threads and then are able to pick it up and say, okay, given where we are, where do we continue that on from? Yeah. Or two. Yeah. No, that's a good explanation, to be honest. I do. I do. I will, and only because you were talking about Little least rig, so I'll give you one. Do you know who the Human Torch is? He's out of the Fantastic Four, isn't he? uh -uh. (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually, that's not fair. He is, and that's who most people know the Human Torch to be. But before that, there was a Golden Age character called Jim Hammond. He was the original Human Torch. And when we were back in 1942, there was a little glass container with a little suit and that was the thing with with old Jimmy. had to stay in this glass container, or else he was completely flammable and and would go up. Uh, he was the original Human Torch, oh, right. and basically Stan just lifted. You know, again, he likes to be influenced by other things. He just kind of created a character that was was the same name, and so Johnny Storm became the Human Torch, but there already was one from uh, from the Golden Age. Wow, Dave, I didn't know that. I genuinely didn't know that. Yep. What I'll do is after we've finished recording, I'll see if I can dig out an image. But again, you know, it was another thing that quite honestly I'd forgotten about. But it popped up on the screen, you know, in the rewatch yesterday. And I was like, oh, that's the original Human Torch. Brilliant. Oh, right, really yeah. good, really good Easter egg. Yeah, I'd like to say it over my head. Now, um, I'll, we'll
0: uh, talk about the middle section now, Dave, so I'll just run down the plots for this middle bit. Is that okay? Go for it. So, Senator Brandt approaches Steve Rogers and offers him the chance to tour the nation for the USO to promote the war donations, using his image as the strong ideal soldier as a symbol for the public to rally behind, which Rogers
1: accepts. During his work for the USO, Rogers. It's easy for you to say. Was he part of the Bengals? Yeah, yeah. What <laughs> <bit> an <laughs> like <the> eternal flame.
0: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Star Spangled character, Captain America. As Rogers continues touring across the country, Captain gains great popularity among the public, leading to increasingly more elaborate shows as well as making appearances in film strips, comic books, and other memorabilia. Meanwhile, Schmidt unveils his new Tesseract-powered weaponry to the three Nazi officers sent to oversee his operation, but he uses the weapons to kill the officers after they realise that Germany is among the list of Schmidt's intended targets. While on tour in Italy performing for active servicemen as well as encountering his colleagues from the SSR, Rogers learns that Bucky, Barnes's unit, was lost in a battle against Hydra. Despite Philip's insistence on the vainness of the situation, Rogers refuses to believe that Barnes is dead and becomes determined to mount a solo rescue attempt. Following the liberation of the Allied prisoners, Rogers recruits Barnes, Dum Dum Duggan, Gabe Jones, Jim Marita, James Montgomery Failsworth, and Jack Sternier as his personal team of howling commandos. Howard Stark outfits Rogers with advanced equipment including a durable custom combat uniform and a circular shield made of vibranium. For the next two years, Rogers and his howling commandos lead a strong offenses, sabotaging various Hydra operations, much to Schmidt's frustration. So what you say, what do you think about this, Dave?
1: Again, kinda loved it. I mean, the little callbacks, the howling commandos popping up there. And again, just because I was talking about the human torch Easter egg just then, so James Montgomery Falsworth is actually the Union Jack. Ah, so, yeah. so he was part of the Avengers comics that I mentioned. I, I can't remember. It was a few episodes ago now. And I just absolutely loved and gobbled those up. And the guy, oh, just bear with me. I'll, I'll need to look up his name. What's Loki's, what's the actor's name? Oh, Tom Hiddleston. Yeah, yeah. And I have to say, I often quite get confused. So the actor who played James Montgomery Falsworth is J.J. Field, who looks remarkably like Tom Hiddleston. And I, I just, you look at him, and I, I just, quite often in my mind's eye, I get them mixed up. But I, d- I don't know if you noticed at all, because he does have a, a look of Tom Hiddleston about him. But anyway, I don't even know. He doesn't have a particularly prominent role but uh yeah he's he's the old union Jack,
0: that's good, Dax. because I remember you mentioned him, I think you mentioned it a couple of times, Dave. i think I think this middle bit, the only thing I didn't I completely forgot about Dave was the proper stage show that went on, you know this this tour oh, yeah thing. yeah I totally forgot about that. I genuinely I don't know why I, and when it come on, I was like, oh yeah, I just it wasn't even in my subconscious that that had happened when I watched it originally.
1: That's interesting. I mean, so I think it was in his first episode, first episode, first issue that he punches Hitler. You know, again, this is way before uh, America got involved in the war, but obviously the creators felt very strongly about what was going on over in Europe. But, yeah, when I'm watching this the first time, I'm a bit surprised by, you know, he becomes this this super being you know this super soldier it's a miracle what's happened to him he's gone from being this scrawny little kid essentially to this beefed up muscly you know adonis and they're just like all right we'll stick him in a costume and you know use him as a propaganda tool yeah so i, I was a yeah. bit surprised but what i would say is it did he did have the old uh, style shield, didn't he? You know, yeah. so it wasn't the round shield. No. But it was the, the, you know, it was very much like. And it, and again, I'll send you this as well, a picture of that original MLJ shield, and it is a little bit of a straight copy, quite honestly.
0: Dan Lieber again. Yeah.
1: it, uh,
0: I've got to say though, Dave, I must admit, if I'm going to pick anything in, in holes in in this film, this is the only bit where when he goes on this tour with them it didn't ring true to the Steve Rogers before the serum because he wanted to fight with Bucky. He wanted to go out there and make a difference, didn't he? And fight for America, fight for the Gordon. And, and then all of a sudden he gets all these powers and he gets this height, and he gets this physical presence and this being of, of being like, you know, superhuman, whether it's running strength, fighting, whatever. And, his durability's there, but, but, but he just accepts that he's now just a show pony on, on, on the stage. And I, I just I just felt, I know it, it, they're telling a story and it's it's the only way you can sort of get Captain America in these situations officially. But I was like, I don't know. I don't know whether that's a callback to the comics, but for me, just his character wasn't the same at the start. And he literally just accepted that he was just going to work on the stage. I just didn't, I didn't buy that completely, but I know it needed it for the story.
1: I I don't know really. I mean let, let's we're going to be abstract now. Um so I don't quite know where this is going to go. Yep. <laughs> but let me start talking and let's see where it finishes up. If you wanted to give money for charity, right? You know, picking on something you you've just literally done in the last few days, you could just get a part-time job and, you know, work some extra hours, and everything you earn goes into that charity bucket. Or you could go on TV and, you know, be a bit of a show pony and get lots and lots and lots of people who enjoy what you're doing to contribute, and that will make a lot more money than you just working your backside off to earn it. Yeah. So the fact that he's this massive beefcake, you know, he could probably, I, I I, I can believe that he would think he would have a positive effect on all the troops and what have you by being that show pony rather than him just going straight into the war. I mean, he, he's not an actual qualified soldier. At, at that point, is he? He'd only done his basic no. training. You know, he hadn't worked his way up to being an actual captain. So I, I don't know. I It's interesting what you're saying, but I kind of bought it hook, line and sinker. I, it threw me for a loop to be honest, because I wasn't expecting it, but I, I think, yeah, I think I could buy it that, you know, someone could convince him because he, he's not, like a, a cynical you know millennial no oh. <laughs> he's all he cares about is you know doing the best that he can for his country and if someone was to influence him and say well doing the best for your country is helping keep up the morale for our troops then i think he'd do it
0: yeah yeah you could be right you could be right it just—it wasn't something when I watched it that bothered me. It was only afterwards in reflection, you know, like when we're, we're thinking about the show and different things, and it—it's just I don't know. Like I say, it's only a nitpick, Dave. It's not something that took me away from the film. I enjoyed the film. But, um, I definitely did. The, the only thing I'd say is. And this is another. This is an actual nitpick at Endgame is Peggy Carter. Is actually the same age in this in 1945 as she is in 1970 when she sees thieving to the base. But that's obviously for a, something I probably should have called out when we did Endgame.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think you might be right, and it's very hard for me to be objective because. I kind of think I'm a little bit in love with Hayley Atwell. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> just just stick her up on screen. Don't care if you stick a bit of few grey hairs on her or whatever. She's she's just lovely. Yeah,
0: yeah. No, <laughs> oh, no, I agree, I agree. But yeah, I think, I think as well, there's, there's a couple of iconic bits in this, especially when he gets the shield. It's really good, you know, with the colours and everything. And it's he's iconic, isn't it? And he's got the proper outfit on there when Howard Stark intervenes, doesn't he? And says to me like, I've got this this suit. And I like the way that he goes in, Dave. And I know you showed me this in the comics. He ends up with that, one of the showgirls' hats on with the A, doesn't he? Which I think is brilliant when he's, got, he's actually going down to do that mission to rescue Bucky. I think that's really good. And, and, and it's obviously supposed to be done accidentally, but it's quite iconic as well. I thought it's really good.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think from this, all oh, right, yeah, I might have missed... It's calling out a little bit, but when he's got the initial shield, so before the colors go on it at all, you know, he's kind of holding it up there. And you've got uh, Natalie Dormer, haven't you? Another Game of Thrones character. Again, another lovely lady, you know, trying it on with Steve Rogers a little bit. Obviously beefed up Steve Rogers, but uh, Peggy, you know, really likes Steve Rogers the person, so she loves the... You know the person that he was, even before all the muscles and everything. But she gets a little bit jealous. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, she tests out the shield by taking a few shots at it. <laughs> it's like I thought. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I had a few girlfriends like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a whole different podcast that day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, but yeah, no, I think I I liked you know again. We're from the Rocky generation, aren't we? So who doesn't love a good montage? And, you know, so showing without going into, you know, granular detail on each of his missions, they put into montage form how Captain America initially goes to saving Bucky, but then goes off on all these different missions. And you can see how his popularity grows and grows. Yeah, and I must admit, Dave, As a
0: side note, I was watching this with Tommy Lee Jones, he's quite obviously he's the hard-nosed sort of colonel or general, whatever he is, and I was, I just kept thinking in the background, thinking, I wonder whether he was a pain in the backside like he was on Batman Forever. <laughs> <laughs> I did, I kept thinking, fast forward 16 years, I hope you're a better person on that set, Tommy, because he, you know what I mean, I don't know why, I just kept thinking of him as two-faced, but, but yeah. I I think it's such a strong film, David. I love the fact, And obviously at the time, 2011, we hadn't had a lot of the MCU. We were probably three films in, weren't we? So we'd had Iron Man,
1: The Hulk, and I think this was the third or maybe... It was, yeah, yeah. (laughs) People try and forget about The Hulk, but yeah, The Hulk was definitely part of the MCU. And
0: just on a side note as well, sorry to go for the tangent, I watched The Hulk the 2008 Ed Norton one, and I actually have always enjoyed that film. I've watched it probably about 15 times, and I watched it again on the plane while I was going on holiday, and I still love it, Dave. I, I still, as much as I love Mark Ruffalo, that Hulk is what I wanted against Thanos in Endgame. That's it's my only nitpick, but that's still a great film, that, definitely. So, um yeah. Really, I mean, even like the Ange Lee one as well. Dave, in parts, I've got to say so. The Angley, the Angle. is that is
1: that the sister of Angley? Angley, yeah, even <laughs> yeah, A N G. Yeah, you like that one? I struggle with that one. We'll have to do that at some point, but yeah,
0: I'm not, I, not brilliantly. But I can watch it.
1: I think Nick Nolte does me editing in it, but I can watch it and enjoy there's, it. There's some really comic book style shots in there. You know, it is it is one of the most comic booky type movies, but I, it's just fundamentally boring. Yeah. <laughs> but no, we'll we'll go into more detail uh, when we tackle those. No, obviously. So, uh, shall we go into the
0: final part then, Dave? Let's do it. In 1945, the team later assaults a train carrying Zola. Rogers and Barnes engage in a fight with the soldiers on the train, during which Barnes falls from the train to his apparent death, while Jones locates Zola on the train and captures him. Using information extracted from Zola, the final Hydra stronghold is located, and Rogers leads an attack to stop Schmidt from using weapons of mass destruction on the United States. Rogers climbs aboard the Valkyrie, Hydra's massive aircraft bomber, as it takes off. During the subsequent fight, a machine containing the Tesseract is damaged. Schmidt physically handles the Tesseract, which opens a wormhole into space, sucking him into the bright light. Q, Avengers Infinity War. The Q falls to the floor, burning through the plane and falling into the ocean. Seeing no way to land the plane without risk of detonating its weapons, Rogers instead crashes it onto the Arctic shelf while making a sorrowful goodbye to Carter, making a promise to take a dancing. Again, Q, end game, Dave. Making a promise to take a dancing, knowing he would never be able to make the date. Stark later recovers the Tesseract for the ocean floor, but he's unable to locate Roger's body or Schmidt's aircraft. Rogers awakens in a 1940-style hospital room. He flees outside into what is revealed to be a present-day Times Square, where Nick Fury tells him he has been asleep for nearly 70 years. Stunned by this revelation, Roger's only response is that he had a date. Roger's only response is that he had a date. And that's pretty much the third act, Dave. So uh, I know there's a lot there and there's a lot of stuff going on in the background as well, other than the plot points. But what did you think of the end bit then?
1: Well, uh, we'll go a little bit backwards. So just picking on the last bit that you said there about, I, I love that bit where he just wakes up and he's kind of in that 1940s setting. But he's listening to the radio. And again, he's very tuned in to his environment. And again, it's just a little clue that, all right, he's he's obviously, again, it's Chris Evans, he's beefcake. You know, we know he's got the physical attributes, but he's not stupid. You know, he's very perceptive about his environment. And so he's listening to the radio and the fact that, you know, they happened to pick a game that he was at, probably got beat up at as well. Um you know, and he's just, he he can see through the facade. I just thought it was brilliant. And, you know, he runs out and you see that. I mean, who doesn't love Times Square? No. You know, such an iconic setting, isn't it? And so, yeah, I, I love that last little bit. Again, says a lot about the character. And then again, you know, that he is that man out of time. Yeah, I agree.
0: I do agree. And also, the girl who they've got dressed up, she is like a Peggy Carter lookalike, isn't she, as well? Which is a bit bizarre. I don't know what... Well, <clears throat> I mean, obviously, they've thawed him out, haven't they? The start of the film is present day, so they've obviously had him in
1: some sort of... Thawed him out, put oh. him on the low setting in the microwave. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It came to wake up sort of thing. But,
0: yeah, I, I do like that bit as well. I remember watching it for the first time, and when he bursts out of the room and then comes onto the side, I thought it was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant, and like I say, someone like you've been there more times than I have, I've only been there once last year and I'm going again this year, but Times Square is brilliant and what a setting to put him in as well, because obviously the whole film, when we initially see Steve Rogers, he's New York, so probably the best place to take him back to.
1: Yeah, he's definitely that Brooklyn boy. I think, let's pick a nip for a second, so again, this third act, I think it's really good, but I didn't really buy that he had to crash the plane into the sea. (laughs) You know, it's like, no, Peggy, I'm going to have to put it down. Well, can't you just, like, aim it and then jump out? (laughs) It's just like, it seemed a little bit weak to me, that bit.
0: Yeah, I must admit, I was thinking, is he taking it down there where the... the, um titanic is because that's off the new york coast as well because i was thinking well he's obviously in the atlantic and he? he's going i was the same as you thinking well why can't he take it down and get out or why why has it got to go into that thing is it to stop it blowing up but it, it wasn't it wasn't explained i do agree with that dave i do i do agree with what you're saying
1: yeah i mean you know so that's what the story wants us to believe isn't it so he needs to put it down so that you know it doesn't get to new york and and of course if you look at you know if you look at a flat map of the earth then of course you're thinking well a straight line from the uk to new york it there can't be many icebergs there but the earth's round isn't it so you you do have to almost fly upwards into the colder shores and and over that's the shortest distance from the uk to to the uh to new york but it, it, i'm sure they could have for the drama you know they had to have this gut-wrenching little last speech you know between steve and peggy but uh yeah it, it just seemed a bit weird like he was just trying to get out of the date <laughs> you know, just, no no I've, I've got to put it down <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it was, no, are you sure you can't just jump out of the plane? You know, just like I say, just aim it there. We'll we'll send a f- couple of aircraft. I'm sure they can come pick you up. Nope, nope, Peggy. I got to put it down. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I do agree. I think I'd like to say I don't think it ruins the experience of the film.
0: It's just a couple of little things to pick on there. And I think as well, his fights with the Red Skull are pretty good. And I think the whole. Incident on the actual Valkyrie is good as well. The way he gets back into the Valkyrie and and he, he, obviously, I mean, he's not a great bad guy, Schmidt, because obviously he's named everything by the cities that he's going to drop everything in. But you know, Steve ends up on it was the a little New York. bit
1: cartoony, wasn't it? A little bit yeah, Tom yeah. and Jerry sort
0: of. Thing. Yeah, yeah, New York, Berlin, you know, London or wherever it was, you know. But it wasn't. It was only little nitpicks, and I think I think to be fair, Dave, this sticks very close to what you've mentioned before, the origins of the comic, as someone who's never read them and I've only read little bits and what you've you've mentioned before and have researched, I think it comes out of this very well. And I must admit, having watched all the MCU now, and we've reviewed quite a lot of them while well, we've been doing this podcast now for over 18 months, it's nice to have something completely different to watch and review that's within the same world, even though it's... Set up for the next load of films, and obviously, we fast forward then it's up onto the Winter Soldier. This is what it sets up. I really enjoyed the setting, the, the 1940s setting was brilliant, Dave. And I think, even though he's got this super strength and that, he's not completely indestructible. And, and I think I bought the whole thing. I like Chris Evans anyway. I love, like, I say, Captain America now. I think it's probably up there with the Hulk as one of the best characters, to be honest. After Endgame,
1: no, that's good, and uh, you know, it. It does irritate me that, as I said before, it it taints my love of anything that Hugo Weaving does because, you know, he speaks so poorly about, you know, the things that he's been involved with. But I do think he does a decent Red Skull. And again, you know, kind of when I was growing up reading these comics, he is that kind of, you know, he's the Joker to the Batman, you know, he's... The Red Skull to the to the Captain America, so you know he's he's no he's not just uh, some weakling, you know he is pretty much equivalent to Captain America, just a, a an evil, nefarious version of him. So yeah, I, th- I think he was pretty good, and yeah. you know for years and years people were saying, oh, all the MCU villains they just cast off and they're thrown away. Well, he did come back. Yeah, yeah, he does. He does
0: come back. And uh, I think as well, I I think because of the world they were building, there wasn't really much for Schmidt to go on, Dave, in in any of the later films, if I'm being honest. You know, with Captain America, I think it just ended that uh, sort of battle with him and and that whole rivalry for me. I think it works quite well, to be fair. It wasn't one of the ones where you're like, oh, I hope he comes back. We know he comes back, but I mean, as a a complete bad guy against Captain. He wouldn't have fit into the MCU, I don't think. He wouldn't have been powerful. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. But again, I I think, you know, uh, even in the Captain America comics, you know, the way they write them, you know, it's very different to the Iron Man comics. You know, probably not so much with Black Widow, You know, and again, I do think with what we'll see with Winter Soldier and Falcon will be very much the same. It'll all be, you know, this kind of um, not spy, but you know, there's always kind of a war theme and a political theme to it. So I I just, I I think with what we're going to get with Winter Soldier and Falcon is going to be very much like the Captain America comics and very much like this First Avenger and what we see later in the other two Captain America movies. So, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm expecting big things from
0: that. Can I, can I ask you one question? That I, I, I don't think it explained it well or I missed it, but you had Howard start there, obviously, and he rescues the Tesseract. What was the reasoning behind the fact that he could I know he said they couldn't see anything, but how the heck did it take like all them years for him to find Steve and the aircraft? I couldn't work out what he was, how the logical explanation of that. Magic. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Just so I mean, it, it didn't make much sense, to be honest, if I'm being completely. No, and it doesn't. Oh, well, you could, global warming, Chris. <laughs> yeah. So the glaciers are moving. And so, you know, things bubble to the top that weren't, that near the surface before I went into the comics before so basically it was it was a decline in popularity so as the 1940s came to an end people got bored of superheroes and it wasn't until you know really I, I it wasn't purely marvel but definitely that silver age you know marvel were at the forefront and people were really interesting in superheroes again. So you had the the Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, Hulk came out, the Avengers, and it was in that Avengers 4 comic where they resurrected, or, or not resurrected, but they defrosted Captain America and brought him back. And he had that angle that he was that man out of time. But you can keep replaying that same beat again and again, can't you? Yeah. So whichever decade it is, Oh you've just defrosted captain america you've just you've just found him again uh and he's this man in the nineteen forties and he's in the nineties or he's in the two thousands or he's in the two thousand and tens so there's no real logic to it, but it's just whenever you need it to happen oh yeah I've just found Captain America, yeah. this World War two icon. No, very good, very good,
0: Dave. That's a good explanation, to be fair. Um, Now, shall we go into... Oh, just before we go to our review score, Dave, one thing as well is, obviously, we get the post-credit scene, don't we, where Cap is whacking the punch bag. It looks like he's in a gym from the 1940s, and Nick Fury comes in. Now, obviously, this all leads on to him saying, you know, I've got a mission. Captain says, you've got a mission then, have you? and it's all about saving the world, and that then leads into the trailer for the original Avengers from 2012. And I've got to say, excuse me, watching that again, that trailer is just completely different to what we see now, I've got to say. I mean, it makes four out to be the strongest one out of all of them.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I love that bit with the punch bag. You know, and again, it's just so iconic, isn't it? You know, I'd almost forgotten that... You forget about all these end credits, But when he just smacks the punch bag, it goes flying across the room, and then you can see that he's got a load, (laughs) just a load of beat-up punch bags, so he kind of goes through them like tissue paper. I I just thought he was brilliant. And, of course, you know, we're going back, we're watching it all with hindsight, but this is before even that first Avengers came out when we didn't really think they could do that. We could have a kind of team-up movie, and so you know they were hinting at this stuff and we just thought oh that'll be nice but it'll never happen you know so it is interesting to go back and watch these post-credit scenes and how they kind of hint at what's to come but we know what's to come
0: yeah we do now you're right you're right in hindsight it's a great thing isn't it but not really good so uh should we go into our review days review scores let's go Dave, I haven't got a clue this week who is who.
1: Well, I think I've probably been the worst poker player in the world. So I think you should go first this week.
0: Okay. Uh, Yeah, I've got to say a lot of this, it was almost like watching it brand new. I'll be completely honest. Obviously, we're familiar with Chris Evans. You know, I'm a massive Marvel fan these days, more than well, probably I'd say Endgame is, is up there with the Batman Begins. It's better than them. For me, it's my favourite film ever, so we're totally familiarised with the Marvel MCU. Um, Not sure what to expect. Would it hold up? Yeah, it holds up really well. It's a great film to watch. The only thing I I regret now, Dave, is not watching it on my full surround sound, full blast, but I am, as I've mentioned before, I am buying slowly each mcu film so i will have all 22 and and first avenger is on my list and i will be watching that again within the next couple of weeks i'm hoping to snag a a cheeky blu-ray copy for three or four quid on ebay or facebook marketplace so i highly recommend this film i think it's brilliant i think the only thing i'd say is there's a couple of nitpicks that i don't necessarily think it's the best thing i've ever watched and also i am wary of the fact that I'm always throwing around Asgard's and considering Infinity War and Endgame and Daredevil are my three favourite things that reviewed, I can't send it to Asgard. I just, I just can't. I've got to be more conscious, I think, of just throwing them out there. It has to be at that level. And for me, it's just below. So I'm sending it to Atlantis, but it is a brilliant film. And I also would love to give the whole trilogy and overall review and we've got through Dave, but yeah, Atlantis for me, brilliant film.
1: Very good. Very good. Well, again, I think this absolutely stands up. I was pleasantly surprised in my memory. I haven't watched this for a few years now. I have watched it a few times, but probably not in the last, say three years going back though. (sighs) I, I still think it absolutely stands up. It's one of the best origin movies. Again, I'm going to lap up anything that's about that Second World War or the First World War, and I I just think it, it ticks all of the boxes. A little bit like yourself, though, it's hard not to downgrade almost everything so we've had infinity war and endgame now which have set the bar pretty high i also think you know let's call it out 2019 i did say a few weeks ago i think dc are hitting it out of the park at the minute i think shazam was really good i know you didn't quite feel the same but from my perspective it was the best thing dc have, or what dc slash warner brothers have done in recent years i think doom patrol on the tv side has been phenomenal so You know, there's a lot that I'm absolutely loving, (laughs) you know. So if we'd have reviewed this possibly back in pre-episode 50, I think I would have sent this to Asgard, but I am going to call this as a very, very strong Atlantis. It's not quite up there with the top, let's say, 5% of movies, but very, very strong Atlantis. I think definitely one of the best origin movies that's out there. That's good, Dave. And I think
0: we're both having watched and understanding, obviously, we we created this review score and through ourselves, through our discussion, how we were going to do it, we've reviewed plenty of things ourselves. And I just think because of the, the whole level that Endgame and Infinity War are on, it's just one of the things now. I'm just going to be more conscious of throwing out Asgard's Dave and getting swept up. It's got to really blow me away, I think, going forward. And uh, I'm sort of calling myself out for what we've reviewed in the past. I'm not saying that it's not right because that's how I felt at the time, but now I think these there's a real direction and what's clear for both of us on the podcast and what, what we feel about and how it should get that Asgard score off us.
1: Yeah, yeah. But, and as you say, so at some point, you know, we'll do Winter Soldier, we'll do Civil War. I still think, and and honestly, in that in that trilogy, when I made that statement that Captain America is the best trilogy I've ever seen, I was thinking, first Avenger, probably the weakest out of the three. And having enjoyed it as much as I have, I, even though I've only given it an Atlantis... I still stand firmly in that corner. I'm probably more passionate that this is the best trilogy there's ever been. From my perspective, you know, I I know there's others that I like. I love Star Wars, I love Back to the Future. You know, there are other great trilogies out there. But for me, this is probably the best. and Certainly one of the most underrated. No, no. I think that's a good call, because I
0: remember the other two films quite clearly, and I enjoy both of them. So, no, very good, Dave. Now, just before we go, if you want to get in contact with the show on Twitter, it's at Comics in motion P. Or if you want to email the show and you want to suggest anything you want myself and Dave to review, it's Comics in Motion Podcast at com. And also, as Dave mentioned at the top of the show, we love you guys to get on your podcast hosting sites or apps and give us a five-star review it just helps us grow it gets us out there on the algorithms and gets us out to a wider audience so thank you very much as always guys and dave what are you going to send us out with mate?
1: well chris it's been lovely to talk to you again so it's been a, a couple of weeks hiatus you've been on holiday you've come back you've done your charity run as captain america and i would could quite easily talk to you all night but if we do have to wrap it up now all I'll say is I could do this all day the, greatest, the greatest
0: army in history should we go with back
1: to the war every army begins with one man
0: in fact I can offer you a chance. He will be the first in a new breed of super soldiers. I to do this. What do you think? I think it works.